0: Today's guest, Dave Burse, has written several books on creativity and generating ideas. He works with clients such as Facebook, BBC, and Hilton Hotels to help managers get better ideas from their teams. But it's one of Dave's LinkedIn learning courses that's really caught people's attention. It's called How to Create and Run a Brilliant Remote Workshop, And that's on LinkedIn Learning and has currently got 72,495 learners. Dave's just released a new online training program on his own platform called Virtual Presenting Academy. And it's designed to help presenters like you and me to master presentation planning, to create presentation assets... And of course, manage presentation technology. Dave himself is a poet, he's a stand up comedian, he's a session musician, a former radio presenter, and much, much more. But he describes himself primarily as a virtual speaker who trains other virtual speakers. And that's why we have him here today on the show to help you. In today's episode, where Dave helps his corporate training clients, which research Dave conducts to build workshops like the one we've just mentioned, what you need to create amazing presentations, how you can keep people engaged and focused in presentations online, how what Dave calls collaborative documents will help your clients, and how Dave is currently planning, designing his new course. This is the Training Business Podcast.
1: Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes.
0: Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark and it's my privilege to be your host again this week. Every Thursday, we have either guests on the show or it's a one-to-one episode where it's just you and I talking about something of value to you. And in terms of value, every episode of this show, every Thursday, in fact, is designed to help you on your training business journey. Whether you're a coach, a consultant, a trainer or a facilitator. If you're just like me, working with your own clients, helping them to be the very best that they can be, I think this is the show for you. Now, perhaps you're new to the business, in which case there are loads of episodes which you can go back and listen to. And of course, that's the beauty of having podcast episodes online. You'll find episodes every Thursday past present and future on your podcast platform of choice whether it's spotify stitcher apple and many many more if you're a first-time listener welcome to the show it's wonderful to know you're here and you can reach me via mark at trainingbusiness.com if you've got any questions or suggestions for the show if you're not a first-time listener this is your umpteenth time coming back then thank you for your continued loyalty and listenership As I said before the music, today's guest is Dave Burst. Dave is a very successful consultant. He's a a range of things, including a stand-up comedian. He's extremely comfortable on camera. And of course, what he's helping people with these days is how to be great virtual presenters. Dave, hi, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I found you on LinkedIn and um, watched a couple of your videos and uh, you come across super comfortable in media. And um, what, what is your background that, that gave you that confidence to, to show up and to just be relaxed on camera and the mic?
1: <laughs>
0: you know, my, my background in, in media
1: and broadcast is one of, it started off as absolute terror. I used to be a musician in Scotland and there was one time my band was playing on our radio show, uh, Radio Scotland, which, you know, has got an audience of about seven people and four dogs. and But I imagined that the entire population of Scotland was listening in to this uh, radio show. And I fluffed all of my guitar solos. I was playing the wrong chords. I just, I was shaking. I, I Uncontrollably, I was shaking. And that was my sort of first foray into broadcast. And I, I thought, this is awful. Um and then, bizarrely, a few weeks later, I get stopped by somebody on the street, and uh, they wanted—they were doing some interviews for a radio show. And again, I started to get really nervous, and I thought, "This is something I have to deal with. This—I this, don't—I I could go through life being nervous of this stuff, or I could try and conquer this." So I started putting myself forward for all sorts of stuff, uh, broadcast-wise, and ended up becoming so comfortable with it uh, that I ended up being the co-host of a breakfast show in Cambridgeshire. So that every Friday I would go into this radio show and I would I would write poems live on air um, because poetry was a big part of what I did, like comedy poetry. And I, 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 you know, it's just one of these sort of crazy journeys. And then from that, I accidentally did a TV show about seven years ago I was the editor at large for a magazine called The Drum and uh, we created this for, for one of our clients, we, we created a series of films and I decided that the way to do this, the best way to do it was to do it to broadcast standard. So did six half hour shows all about how technology was impacting different industries and I got professional camera crew, I directed, I wrote, I presented. And it ended up being picked up. And it was on RTE in Ireland. It was on uh, the the community channel in the UK. It's it's been broadcast in different uh, TV stations around the world. And it's it's kind of strange that I've ended up, a lot of things happen to me by accident and then I embrace them. And that's kind of what broadcast has been for me all the way throughout that journey, is things that I've just spotted opportunities, happy accidents, and it it has opened
0: doors for me and led me in new directions. So you, you wouldn't have approached the, I mean, your background is uh, computer programming, advanced mathematics. That was your education. Um, I went to hotel school. Some people never seem to be on a path which brings them to training and development or consulting and coaching. And all of a sudden, voila, we end up here. Um, as you look back, can you see how you, what, what transformed you from, let's say, what you thought you'd end up doing to what you actually became? eventually, which is a consultant, a speaker, a coach, an educator, a trainer. How did that come about?
1: Well, I was, I was an advertising creative for 20 years. Uh, you see, I've done, I've done quite a lot of things. And when people ask me, how have you done so many things? It's Well, I do lots of things at the same time. <laughs> you know, even when I had jobs, I always had side gigs. I always had things going on. But the, I was an advertising creative for about 20 years. And I ended up being creative director of some big advertising agencies in London. And one of the things as a creative director is people come to you with ideas and your job is to look through the ideas and generally it's like, no, that's rubbish, that's crap, that's rubbish. Okay, take this idea and develop it in that direction. I want you to push it. There. You know, you're, you're, you're directing people's creative ideas, the, the clues in the job title. And I sort of felt that I was getting a little bit frustrated with, a lit, with some of that. So I thought, would it be better instead of trying to push people towards the good stuff that if I showed them where the good stuff was in the first place. So in the last job that I had as a creative director, I set up an education facility so that every Thursday I would do a lecture to show people where the good stuff was. And I would give them a cheat sheet of, here's like here's some five tips to help you with this area. So it might be looking at Internet of Things, it might be looking at AI, it might be looking at social movements, it might be looking at uh, hacking. And, and I would... I would show, I would teach them about it. I would show them examples and then give them these principles. And I found that overnight it absolutely transformed the kind of ideas that I was getting from the department because people were coming to me with the kinds of ideas I wanted to see rather than me having to push them after they'd come to me with ideas that weren't quite there. And that excited me so much that I quit my job and wanted to, I I spoke to friends and other companies across the advertising landscape. And they were really keen to get this for their company as well. So I thought, right, I'm going to set up a training company to to train the industry. And I left the agency and set this up at exactly the time that the financial crisis totally impacted the advertising industry. And suddenly budgets were frozen and I had no clients. So, (laughs) So it was then at that point, it was pivot, pivot, pivot. And some of the stuff that I did uh, during those pivots, was I, would, uh, I taught at universities around the world. Uh, so I taught uh, transmedia, transmedia storytelling for filmmakers. I, I taught it in, in in Chile, University of Santiago. Um, I taught um, digital creativity in Singapore, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I taught uh, VR storytelling. Uh, in Parsons New School in in New York. So I I, I taught at universities around the world, all sorts of different courses. And the the wonderful thing about being an educator and being a trainer, which I'm sure anyone who's listening to to this will be able to relate to, is is there's no better way of learning than teaching. (laughs) So for me, that was a lot of it, was, was that, yeah, I would know quite a bit about that, but for me to teach it, I would then have to do a load of learning. Increase my skills uh, to uh, question things, create my own uh, theories around stuff, and and it's to me I, this is what I love about this journey is that I've just got an insatiable
0: curiosity, and that is really why I teach now. So that your strapline is the, is the virtual speaker who trains other virtual speakers. So a lot's happened since two thousand eight when the crash came. We're now just emerging from from lockdown with COVID. Um, I'm curious about finding out how you then settled on this one thing, which is your, your sweet spot. I think many trainers often struggle to say, what is the thing I like doing most? What are the things that I could enjoy training people on or consulting with people on? Um, what Brett brought you to the point where you realized, you know, it's speaking, it's helping people to speak. And if we go, if we niche further, it's, it's speaking virtually. What was that discovery process like for you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is just, this is one of probably three strings to my bow. So I, I also, I teach innovation. That's what I've historically done over the last few years. And I teach creativity. So I've written books on creative thinking wh- where I come at it from a very pragmatic point of view rather than an, an arty farty uh, whimsical oh you've got to find your your inner uh, your inner inspiration and, and just let uh, just let the muses come to you no, no I hate that stuff so I, I'm very i very, um, sort of I, I bring in neuroscience and all sorts of things when I'm teaching creative thinking creative skills but when it comes to this is the one thing that's really taken off over the last year obviously because it's the biggest need So that's the one thing that I'm embracing it because the market needs this at the moment more than it does the other things that I'm teaching. So that, it kind of like came about at the beginning of lockdown, and I'm sure a lot of trainers will be able to relate to this. I had lots of work in my diary and in the space of 10 days, I lost it all. I lost, it was more than £50,000 worth of work that was booked in my diary, disappeared in the space of 10 days. And I was left with an income of zero and absolutely nothing coming in beyond that. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that sigh there, Mark, makes me think that you pos- probably can relate to that.
0: <laughs> yes, I can. And, and so many people I've spoken to just said that overnight February 2020, it was like someone just raided their bank account, all of a sudden gone. What do I do? So many people having to redesign their programs for virtual delivery and even invent a whole new product stream to meet uh, people's requirements, and even then the whole ground was shifting. no one knew is it worth bringing in trainers. Can we cut back and inevitably learning and development, talent development often comes a cropper, or the axe falls on it when uh, budgets retrench and, and and corporations don't spend money on on developing people because they 're not sure what the market needs from those people? yeah, absolutely
1: so, so I find that when I, I lost all of that at work, and I had time on my hands. And I realized that things would, for at least a few months, be looking at online. I mean, part of it was the, well, here's the logical thing. I need to reshape things for online. And as much as I didn't have the work there to do it, I needed to do that. So I started thinking about this. And I started thinking about it in the way that I approach things as an innovator. So when I'm teaching people innovation, I took a lot of the stuff that I teach people and I applied it to myself. Because to me, this, this was any time of change is a time of opportunity. And I saw this. It's exactly that. So I I started to run experiments using technology and try to find ways with a bit of my sort of broadcasty background and I'm a bit of a geek as well when it comes to technology and, and I I can program and stuff like that. I started to put stuff together and found that actually it's not too difficult even just using some of the equipment that I had lying around to do something that's far better than than just looking like a a silhouette in a gritty crime documentary with a window behind you shot from your crappy laptop camera. In your bedroom or something, yeah. On yeah, Zoom. exactly, with a, with a pile of laundry behind you. Oh, well, you know, that nonsense that people uh, seem to be doing, particularly at the beginning. That I, I was lighting myself properly. I was setting up microphones. I was... Doing stuff that just elevated that. And, and then, okay, that's, that's me sorted out so that I look okay on camera. What can I do now for my presentations? So I started looking at it and dissecting it from the point of view of the audience. What is it the audience needs? What's going to be a good experience for the audience? And I started questioning everything and I wrote down everything that was all the points I could think that, that could be the benefits that you can get from a face to face presentation and I thought, well, how can I replicate them online? And at that point you realized that you couldn't replicate everything online. But what you can do is you can you can go, well, actually, it's not just about the someone in the audience is on a personal journey, they have a personal need and they have an emotional need as well. So how can I tap into their emotions as well? So I started to to work out how to shape presentations in a way that even online can draw people in and can get them emotionally involved, get them sitting forward and engaging, rather than sitting back, picking up their phones and swiping through Tinder. So uh, I, I started to shape this to understand the audiences, we need to get audiences more involved. This kind of talking at people, it kind of works when you are in a boardroom and people can't escape. And there's a certain amount of it. it's socially awkward not to look at the speaker. <laughs> you know, if you're just staring out the window, you're, you're going to be a douchebag. So, so so, people will tend to look at the speaker. And people have been, been mistaking that for having an engaged audience. And, and it's not necessarily true. People might be looking at you, but just because it's rude that it, not to look at you. But when your laptop screen, or if if it's a phone that, that people are looking at, if you think of the 360 degrees you've got around you, that's less than five degrees of that 360 degrees is that screen in front of you most likely, which means that there's 355 degrees of distraction. So your job is to draw people closer to this screen, to get them focused on it, now, how do you do this? Let's look at the language of film. Let's look at the language of television. Let's look at uh, other broadcast media. How do they get people drawing in, get them listening to the radio shows, getting them focused on a a TV documentary that might still have some hard hitting information in it? How do we draw people in? So I looked at all that stuff and started taking techniques and putting it in. And I've just, I've created a system where when people start, when people see my presentations, that usually, even when I'm teaching, my presentations are like high impact, they're drawing people in. And when I, I say to people, if you get any questions, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's questions about the content. But what I found was the most common question was, how on earth are you doing that? That is amazing. <laughs> so I started to get this this reputation for what I was doing and people started asking me to teach them. So I started doing this one-to-one and I, I, I had speakers and trainers who were the ones most often coming to me. I had salespeople coming to me to, to, they realized that their, uh, their sales presentations weren't as effective when they were doing them online. And they wanted to find ways of, of making that more effective. So I've been working with people, anyone who does presentations across the board to find ways of making their presentation. In fact, not even just their presentation, but making I look at the whole communication, so the presentation is part of that, making all of that far more impactful and far more effective, which is the most important thing. It's about transforming audiences. Can you take an audience from A to B more effectively? Can you get to that sale you're trying to get more effectively? Can you get the customer to say yes to your ideas more effectively? And and that's what I've been focusing on. So it's not just about uh, whiz, bang, pop. Uh, Ooh, look at that uh, fireworks on screen. It's about trying to take people on that journey
0: to get to a better outcome at the end. So if we give people listening to this, Dave, um, a few tips on how to keep presentations high impact, um, how do we do that? You know, if you, could you give us some highlighters on what is the difference between this kind of standard dreadful Zoom uh, presentation where we're trying to give some kind of information or training or some kind of consultancy over the internet to someone's board uh, face, or we can actually get them pulled in, involved, and and really uh, make them feel like they're getting something they can't get anywhere else. You know, what What does that look like in terms of tips to make that presentation high impact? Sure, happy to share <laughs> some stuff. Um,
1: I, I think, first of all, I, I think that the first step is to make sure that you look and sound good. Uh, if you were in a boardroom, you wouldn't Invite your clients into a messy boardroom that's badly lit, where you're at the far end of the room and all they're hearing is the echo of your voice. You wouldn't do that. So why do you think that's okay online? So first of all, make sure that you, you look good. Uh, so that's being well lit is actually more important than your camera. Being well lit, having the camera angle at uh, eye height, so you're not looking down or looking up. You're, you're looking at people directly on their level. There's a there's a lot that that psychologically does. And making sure that people can hear you because the most important thing is your sound, to be honest. So if you were to look at this in terms of priority for your setup, it's it's first of all sound, make sure your sound is really good, then your lighting, then your camera. So, so that would be the first thing is, is look and sound good, look and sound professional. The next thing I, I would say is uh, involve people. So the, the one thing that... I, I find really important is to tell people to keep their cameras on and I tell people beforehand before we even get to a, our presentation in our communications beforehand I ask people that to keep their cameras on I give them the, the rules of engagement for the, the presentation I do it in a, a light humorous way but basically as camera on microphone off and that microphone off is so that if you cough you don't end up center screen <laughs> accidentally um, so that is really important for people to keep their cameras on as much as possible because it gives you something to look at so you're engaging with humans. And I think that that's a really, really important thing because when we present, it's like we've got an energy tank inside us and one of the things when people talk about Zoom fatigue, it's not Zoom fatigue, it's crap meeting fatigue. And it's also lack of human engagement fatigue. If it feels as if you, you can't see any faces and it feels as if you're talking to a wall, that is exhausting. So when you see people's faces and you ask them, regularly to give me a thumbs up if you agree with that or or you look out for nods and what you'll generally find just like in real face-to-face audiences online you'll generally find that there'll be like five to ten percent of people who will engage to a level of nodding in agreement and these are the people that in real life are the ones that I will focus on to give me energy back and it's the same online that I will focus on those little boxes and the other thing is to understand I think the final thing I'll say is to understand that you are more important than your presentation. Do not, I would say, do not ever do a Zoom screen share. I think that it's absolutely awful when your presentation now is taking up the whole real estate and you're a postage stamp in the corner. I think that that's an awful thing because you have lost control. Your presentation has taken, wrestled control away from you. So never use a Zoom screen share. It's better to not have any presentation whatsoever and just talk to camera than it is to be a tiny uh, person in a corner um, I I show ways of doing it where you can use graphics far more effectively, uh, but that involves using an extra piece of software in between your webcam and Zoom. But there's ways of doing this really, really simply, and uh, that's some of the stuff that I teach in the course.
0: Now, there are people who will say, hang on a sec, um, what about the timing of this? We're coming out of COVID right now virtual is going to go away. We'll go back to where they, the way things were. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think you think it's true either. There is going to be a hybrid world for a long time to come where we'll have people who are uh, not bothered about traveling. They will dial in. They'll be on screens. There'll be people who will be present in the room. How about managing the the hybrid environment as a presenter? You know, we're we're, we're dealing with people. You're consulting on perhaps communication skills or presenting – But the people you're presenting to, some are in the room, some are actually elsewhere.
1: Yeah, hybrid is something that's really interesting. It's something I'm looking at more and more. I mean, when it comes to doing virtual presentations, I, I, all the experts agree this is going to be a part of our life from here on in. It might, we might be doing some more face-to-face presentations when we get back, but even if you think about it, the, the finance directors are going to then look at that and go, well, hold on a second, we weren't spending all of this money on travel and we were still managing to get our profits during lockdown. Why are we going to be doing all this travel again? So, so the finance folk will, will clamp down pretty quickly in a lot of the companies saying uh, that the primary choice... Is not face to face. It's going to be digital. Um, the other thing is that that uh, I don't know about you, but my work has become completely international. I occasionally have to get up at four in the morning to come to my studio and do a, a do a, a training session for Singapore or for Hong Kong uh, or Australia. So so I I am now entirely global, training people and doing public speaking in places that you know they they wouldn't have been a be able to afford me to, to, to fly me out and get me staying in a hotel and get me delivering stuff. And and for me, that, w- that was uh, like five days out of my time to go and fly someplace like that and then come back and then out of jet lag. So, um, so, so to me, I'm quite happy to then just go on and I'm going to spend two hours with you online. I, I, I f- I'm fine with that. Um, but um, you're talking about hybrid. I'm, I'm working with a client at the moment, I'm actually going to be flying out to Chicago in three weeks time um, to, to run It's for a, a medical company, which is why they can get me into the States, um, because it's a, a necessity for them. And I'm doing two days of workshops in Chicago, but half of the attendees are going to be online. So I've been working with them on how to do something that, that still engages people. So it's far easier if I'm there in person, talking to people in a room, but what we're doing is we're setting up a separate Zoom uh, stream that will be, I will have a screen, like a large television screen in this room, and that, this large television screen will have the mosaic of faces from Zoom, the gallery view, so that I can see everyone. And I am structuring my presentation in such a way that when I'm asking questions, I'm also asking the people online because I don't want the people online to feel as if they're neglected, as if they're second-rate citizen, second citizens. To, that, that I don't want them to ever feel that they can sit back and start swiping. So when I'm asking people in the room for stuff, I'm also asking them. I'm asking them, I'll be giving them tasks to do as well. So I'll be asking the people online as I'm doing talks, I'll be asking them, look, in the chat area, if I say something that you think is important, put it in the chat area. Or if you've got any thoughts on this, or if you've got any questions, so that the people online have got a role and they are going to be absolutely vital so that then at the end of, of me doing a little talking bit, I can go to the chat and I can say, right, oh, we've got this question here from Susan. And I'm then able to do that. And I'm still presenting to a room full of people who feel engaged because I'm in front of them. But I've also got this room full of uh, people online, a Zoom full of people. And so, so this is something that I'm looking at for hybrid. I think the most important thing when we're doing hybrid stuff is to make sure that the the people who are joining remotely, they feel involved and also that you think of what tasks can I give them to do
0: to make sure that they have a vital role within this. And that, that's a big danger, isn't it? That some people feel they're not getting the full version of you, or the benefit of the program because they're hybrid. You also have um, what you call collaborative documents. You give your workshop delegates what you call collaborative documents. Um, so I'd like to know what what are they, one, what's the benefit of them, and when do you give them to your delegates? Yeah, I mean, th- these are things to do during breakout
1: sessions. Um, so, so what I do is I plan, first of all, what will be the document that I present back after this workshop? So so I actually bizarrely start there with my thinking. What is it? So I start with the output. What is the output I want to show my clients at the end of this workshop? What would be the ideal document? So I design the document, um sort of outlining it. I actually sometimes do a little bit of the design as well. And then fill it with lorem ipsum and (laughs) all the rest just to show that this this is the document, my ideal document. Then I go, right, what's the stuff then that I'm missing from this document? What's the information that I want to get out of the group? And then I work out the exercises that will help me get that content I need for the document. So then I will create um, these collaborative documents, and I use Google Docs, Google Slides, and Google's got uh, kind of like a version of Miro Oh, Jamboard. Yeah. Jamboard, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will create things in Jamboard. So so what I very often do is, is I, I hand-draw these empty templates. And I then put them as a background in Jamboard. And then people can put Post-it notes and put writing in and all the rest. So I will give each group, everyone works off the same document. And I'll be saying, right, breakout group one, you're on page five. Breakout group two, you're starting from page 10. And it'll be marked in the document where each group is, and then when people go into their breakout groups I can look at the document and see how each group is doing I mean it's it's I, it gives me a thrill every single time to scroll through a document and see all of this activity happening in the document and then I can also see when groups are struggling so which group isn't really putting stuff up at the moment are they spending too much time talking all right and then I go to my go to zoom I go to that breakout group I go hey uh, room number 3 i can see there's not much activity can i help you what's happening and then at that point you'll find that generally you know some people they think that being productive is discussing stuff rather than doing stuff and you'll find that somebody who's more influential in that group has got that mindset and they are trying to question and define rather than generate and at that point i can get them past that into the generation phase get them to understand what it is that I'm looking for if they weren't clear enough on that but the great thing also about uh, a shared document is is that I don't know if you find this but I find this no matter how clearly in a face-to-face workshop no matter how clearly I describe uh, a a workshop technique a workshop session what people have to do that people break into groups and there'll always be one group that will kind of like tentatively put their hands up and say I'm not quite sure what to do Yeah, so (laughs) it's true in the, I mean, those people are dumbasses. They were the ones who were looking out the window and wondering what they're having for dinner. And even when you said, are you clear? Is everyone clear? And they, they nodded their heads. You know, you, you get these people. Um, but you obviously, you find that digitally as well. So what I do is in this collaborative document, there's a page that describes super, super clearly what it is they need to do. Like, here's your three steps. Do this, do this, do this. And I might even put in an example Uh, I'll I'll use the template to put in an example of what I'm looking for, and then they go to their actual worksheet. So that, to me, has completely got past (laughs) this issue with the people who go, I'm not quite sure what to do. Um, So so i found that, actually, I now prefer to do digital workshops than in-person workshops. Um, Because when you've got everyone working in a collaborative document like this, which I've got working beautifully it, it, it's just, it's now just, if there's no problems, it's so slick. Um, and, and the output I get is exactly what I want. And it's so much better than having this document than if you imagine face to face. What you're doing at, at, at the end of the session is you're, is you're uh, ripping off a few sheets of a flip chart. You're taking photographs of post-it notes. You're taking them back. You spend two hours typing it up. You're thinking about it and, and, and. You've missed bits because things weren't noted down properly or you just don't understand what somebody scribbled in a post-it. You can't read someone's writing. And this totally bypasses all of that. And it means that you have got really clearly all of the output that you need. So for me, I now prefer to run workshops online because it's so much easier at the end for me to do the the wrap-up and the re-presentation back of of the, the workshop outcomes.
0: It's also some proof, isn't it that that there was a tangible output from the training session or the presentation, you can now say to the people who hired you, here's the proof they've done the work. Um, here are the thoughts, here are the breakthroughs, here are the ideas. Um, here's a measurement of of the training's proof of the pudding. Um, and I think often many trainers think, well I've, you know I've delivered something, but I, how do I know I can actually?" prove this has led to changes or if, or breakthroughs or ideation but you have in a way got your people to produce this themselves and this this document is like a portfolio of evidence i guess
1: yeah well i mean a big part of it as i said is is i work out what is the ideal outcome as I start, I work out what is the ideal outcome, what would make the client go, whoa, uh, when I present it back to them at the end. I start there and work my way back. And I, I think that that's a really important thing. I do that, you know, You know, the best way to solve a maze is to start from the end and work to the beginning because you don't have all those, uh, if you start from the beginning and go to the end, you've got all the branches that don't lead anywhere. But if you start at the end and work to the beginning, it's a direct route. And it's the same with this um that if i start at the end it means i am not going down all these branches that could be red herrings that mean that i could end up putting exercises in here that don't that aren't actually very fruitful what i'm doing is i'm working on the output and then working out how do i get that output and that to me is, is a far better way of i do this for my talks as well when i'm, I'm doing keynote speaking uh, which was before lockdown was about half of my income was keynote speaking um So it's, I always start at the end, what is the outcome? What is it I want to leave people with? What's the impact I want to have? And when you know that's state B, and then you understand what state A is, that's where people are right now (laughs) when you're doing a training session. What is state B? Where where do I want to leave people? What's state A? Where, Where are people right now? How do I get people from state A to state B? It's
0: much, much easier when you understand those two different points. What you've said actually makes a lot of sense. I'm often wondering if people just perhaps feel overwhelmed. People perhaps who are my age and perhaps a bit older just might feel, you know, the technology is too much for me. I-, I can't wait to get back in the classroom. But the uncomfortable truth is, as you've alluded to, thinking of your client in Chicago, there will be probably many companies who from now on will just not fly people in. You You have to survive in this virtual hybrid world and presenting to people physically on site, as well as people off site. Um, You've written three books. You've, you've one uh, book co-written. You've got courses on, on LinkedIn. Um, You're doing many, many things. Um, But you've also then launched what we're talking about right now as a virtual course and it's available at virtualpresenting.academy. Just, just briefly before we wrap up here, what was it like to produce a program, take your ideas and put them into some kind of online course, which people can, uh, help themselves too. To me, it's exactly the same process as writing a book, <laughs> which is so, hard. <laughs>
1: it's just hard. Yeah, but but the, the truth is, when people, you know, I've I've written a few books now, and, and a question that I often get is, is my goodness, uh, how, how and I don't think I could do that. How do you write a book? And I say, I don't. I don't write books. I write sentences, because what happens is, is you have to break it down. Writing a book is something that's too big to get my mind around. So what I work out, again, is this, what's, what's state A, what's state B? What do I want to, how do I want to transform people using this book or this course? And then I go, right, what are the different concepts I need to cover? And they kind of become the modules. And then within that uh, concept, what are the different lessons I want people to have? Each one has a learning outcome, so I split it down there. So what's the different lessons I need to do? And then I write the lessons. So it's the same with a book where it becomes chapters and then sections within a chapter and then paragraphs. And then I just put the flesh on the bones. Sentences, right. You make it sound easy. (laughs) Well, I think it is just breaking it down. I mean, as you know, it's a heck of a lot of work. And I'm just, I'm on the last chapter of a book. I'm I'm co-writing with my friend Soon. We wrote a book together previously and... We're just on the on the last chapter of this and I need to have it done within the next two weeks. And it is a lot of work, but my role, part of what I'm doing today is actually breaking down the chapter into those chunks. What are the different concepts I want to cover within this chapter? then what's the information I need to cover within that concept? What are the stories I want to tell? I research the facts of the story, and basically I end up with a a document that is just, it's a bullet-pointed version of the chapter that I I write asynchronously. So I'm not writing it in a linear way. I I might be going to sections and, and filling out a whole load of bullet points there for that section coming back. Once I've completed all the bullet points, I then almost take the bullet points and... Delete the bullet point and just make it a sentence, <laughs> and then I've got a book because that's kind of the way that I write it, and it and it it really works for me. It's, but I'm not uh, I'm not very disciplined when it comes to these things, and a lot of people will ask me, do you get up at six in the morning and spend three hours writing? I'm like, no, I write whenever it suits me, and you know I get up in the morning, and and sometimes I'm planning to do something, and then I'll I'll get to my studio and I'll go, nah, I'm going to do something else. So I'm I'm not totally disciplined because a lot of people focus on um you know it's efficiency i need to be efficient i've got a system i've got a process i've got to be efficient and you know that's what business is trying to
0: force people into that mindset is efficiency i don't i'm about effectiveness Mm. you've worked with organizations like facebook hilton the bbc etc you're bringing in some big clients and I, i guess having been on the university circuit as well helps um your books help visibility Your online courses help visibility. So just final thoughts on that. You said to me last time we spoke, you're about to be ridiculously visible again. So for someone who's (laughs) listening, who's a trainer or a consultant, and they're conscious that there's so much competition out there, the world's now hybrid. I'm thinking of, uh, is it Thomas Friedman's book about the world being hot, sticky, and flat. Uh, Our work is increasingly international, but also we're now up against or competing with trainers from Singapore or from India or from... New York we just can't say anymore well I'm going to fly there and that's it and if I can't fly there you know I've I've got uh I'm at a disadvantage now everyone can actually if they're competent and and ridiculously visible to use your phrase um we're all part of the training market um so what are your thoughts on that final idea of being ridiculously visible as a consultant to um show your face and, and get new business
1: yeah i mean i'm i'm very fortunate that because being a LinkedIn Learning instructor as well, I've got a couple of courses on LinkedIn Learning that are, you know, massively popular. One is how to do remote workshops, and that generates me a constantly growing audience. So I've got I've got thousands of people now connected to me on LinkedIn, kind of, and, and it accelerated because of of my uh, my relationship as a LinkedIn Learning instructor. Um, so. A lot of people will say when I put stuff on LinkedIn, that they'll say, there's peers like at the beginning of the year, I had a few people are saying to me, you know, I come onto LinkedIn, there's always something from you. There's always, you're, you're always in my LinkedIn feed. And I was saying, is that annoying? They were like, no, no, we like to see what you're doing. So well, that's okay then. <laughs> and um, so, so there is that. And I've been very quiet the last few months. And for a reason, it's because I don't want to just talk. I want to have something to say. And I'm putting together this course, and I've nearly finished putting the modules together. I've just got one more module to film for Virtual Presenting Academy. And once that is done, I'm going to be a lot more vocal about it on LinkedIn. So I will be very visible on LinkedIn, talking about this, uh, giving away tips on on how to improve your presentations and all sorts of stuff like that. I've also got a a mailing list with a few thousand folk on it, and I'll, I'll be contacting them more regularly. Um, and then there's a sort of stage after that uh, where I'm going to be doing advertising to promote it. And at that, it'll be mainly YouTube and Instagram. And the wonderful thing about YouTube, it's the world's second biggest search engine. And it's the search engine that people go when they want to learn something. So if they're looking for a practical skill, they go to YouTube. Hey. I've got practical skill for you here. So it, may, it means that YouTube is probably my ideal advertising platform. And especially because what I do is very visual. Um, it means that like pre-roll ads are probably what I'm going to be using. And I know that pre-roll ads can be annoying, but also when you see one that is relevant to you and is interesting, it still grips you. So that it, that is worth my while doing that. And all I then need to do is make sure that I am earning more money than I'm spending on advertising. And that means if I'm happy with that, then I can scale. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what I'm planning to do. So that's by the end of the year, I'll have that part of the promotion sorted out. Um, but I'm waiting until I've finished filming the, the last module before I start doing that kind of, uh,
0: uh, that kind of promotion. So where can people find out more about you then, Dave? Uh, you mentioned uh, virtualpresenting.academy. Where else?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and cursed with uh, a name that is difficult to spell. So uh, B-I-R-S-S, Bravo India Romeo, Sierra Sierra. If you put in Dave Burst, I own the internet.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, <then laughs> That's DaveBurst.com, are, of course. There is DaveBurst.com, but there's a whole load of stuff you'll find. And, and it's... Uh, I think I'm one of five Dave Burses in the world. We all contacted each other a few years ago, and uh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> um, but I, I'm the—I I used to share the internet with a guy who was uh, one of the worst competition cyclists in Australia. Um, but I, I seem to have stolen the internet from him now, which is a shame. I hope he's doing well. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very easy to find as long as you spell my name correctly. If you don't spell my name correctly, sadly, my second name is very close to a Jewish term for circumcision. And that's not something you want to be Googling at work. So just make sure you, 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 you make
0: sure you spell my name correctly and you're probably okay. <laughs> so that's uh, virtualpresenting.academy and davebress.com. Dave, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. Thank you. Thanks to Dave for being my guest today on the show. And thanks to you for listening to Dave and me talk. It's wonderful to know that you're finding value and I'm receiving lots of very kind comments and suggestions so please keep those ideas and suggestions and of course the comments as well help keep those coming too you can reach me via mark At trainingbusiness.com. I read emails individually and of course reply personally. If you've got suggestions for content, I'd love to hear them. If you've got people you know who who you think might actually find value from this show, then please share this with them and tell them about the show. Can I ask you also to please subscribe because it costs you absolutely nothing. If you pause for a second and then click subscribe, uh, this will simply validate that what we're doing each week on the show, myself and the team behind me, James and Sam, uh, are adding value to your business and of course, hopefully to you yourself. And it's wonderful to know that it's of use to people just like you and me. And I often try and put myself in your shoes in thinking about the kinds of content that would help someone just like me and you. Please tune in next Thursday. We have a fresh episode every single Thursday. We always are on the lookout for great guests. If you can think of anyone you'd like to listen to on the show, please recommend them. Until next Thursday, look after yourself, your loved ones, keep training, keep selling, keep going. Bye for now.
1: Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast.
0: See you next time.